Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles, yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible, then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas, quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah This is Guys with Bibles. I'm Scott. I'm Sean. And I'm Lee. And today we got Chad Bird with us on the podcast. We're going to be talking about law and gospel. Hey, Chad, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Yeah, Chad Bird. Uh, great to be on the podcast with you guys. I've really been looking forward to this. It's going to be a, a good and fruitful discussion, I bet. We've been very excited to make this happen. <laughs> So uh, I think we've said on other podcasts before. I think is it is it Chad is tied with our uh, to be our favorite Lutheran with uh, Chris Rosebro. Have we said yeah. that before? Yeah. Or did he rise yeah. to the number one spot? I think he yeah, may be number one at this point. That's a pretty that's Chad. a pretty good person Chad, Chad to be always. tied with. I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll be tied with Chris any day. That's a, he's a great he's Chad a great has guy. Been questioning whether I'm a Baptist or Lutheran or not. <laughs> It's actually my uh, it's actually my life's ambition. I didn't realize it uh, it was coming through so clearly, but yeah, <laughs> that's what it's all about. I'm like, man, I I agree. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! But yeah, so, so. Bef- yeah, before we start going, Chad, if you want to tell us a little bit about your your own podcasting ventures and your upcoming book that's coming out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've. Uh, well, I guess for the last, wow, maybe it's been three years now, my friend Dan Price and I have been uh, doing the podcast 40 Minutes in the Old Testament, in which we work our way basically uh, chapter by chapter through the scriptures. And we have reached, I know it's been three years, you think it would be farther, but we're actually in Deuteronomy now. <laughs> so no, right. we're, uh, we're working our way pretty That's slowly through the Old Testament. Yeah, but I mean, it's been, it's been a great discussion. Uh, I've learned a lot, and hopefully everybody else has, uh, has learned quite a bit, too. It's, uh, it's just been a, a great journey for the two of us and for all of our listeners. So that's, that's 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. You can find that on uh, wherever you get your, your regular podcast. And then I have a, I have a book coming out, uh, actually came out a couple weeks ago. It's called Upside Down Spirituality, The Nine Essential Failures of a Faithful Life in which uh, I approach things basically the way I approach almost everything in my writings, and that is from the perspective of the, the, uh, the theology of the cross, in which God hides himself and is opposite. He's always wrapping himself in that which does not seem very godlike. So uh, I, I tackle what I consider to be uh, uh, nine essential failures of a faithful life, that is failures from the perspective of the world, but in God's kingdom they're actually right side up, they're uh, successes in God's eyes. So... Uh, if you're interested in a in a new read, then check that out. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. I, it should be here soon, shortly. But um, yeah, another good book of yours is the Night Drive. Um, night Driving. Yeah, Night Driving, which is great. That was probably yeah. one of the phenomenal books of yours. Thank you, thank you. Uh, that was my first one to come out. Uh, kind of a what some people have called a spiritual autobiography. Uh, and I, I think I guess that, that's that's accurate. Uh, really written for someone who's uh, blown up their life and are wondering <laughs> if there's a, wondering if there's a, if there's a future. Uh, I've right. I've walked that walked that road. So uh, that's kind of my my story and encouragement to those who might be uh, in the in the middle of their own in the middle of their own journey through that darkness. Right, and I just I I really like how you engage in the book how how real you are with the, the, the authenticity. Reader. Yeah, um, you're, you're just in tune with this is what you're probably going through. This is what you're probably saying. You know, God, where the hell are you? You know, it's stuff. I mean, it's it's great. I'm like, wow, this is 
everything every person in America and the world has ever said and wondered when they're in their life's in ruins. Yeah, uh, you know, that uh, that raw and uh, honest language is was what I found in the Psalms. That was really it was really the Psalms where I found what I call the the language of the languishing, that that vocabulary that that you you didn't learn in Sunday school, <laughs> you, right. know, the, you know, <laughs> definitely no prim not in Sunday and, school. Prim and proper prayers uh, are are really not found in the in the Book of Psalms. There's a lot of pretty uh, pretty earthy stuff there. So and it, mm-hmm. but it it helped me because it gave me the it gave me the the way that I could could speak to God in which in in a way that seemed actually transparent and real and honest and uh, and so it was kind of the Psalms that became the pattern the pattern for for the rest of the book. Right. I think that kind of stuff is so necessary because there's so much uh, posturing and uh, corny messaging that goes on in, you know, broader evangelicalism, I guess I would say today. And um, we need, we need to return to authenticity and uh, real, real struggle, real, real search for God, real connection with God and, and to put that as plainly as possible. I think that's a good step toward it. Yeah, I think there's a real there's a real hunger out there for uh, for that that transparency because it you know it, it's pretty easy for us to uh, to kind of pretend our way through through life and that includes our, our our life with God and life in the church. But the truth is that that everybody around us is is going through going through something almost all the time. Uh, there, you know, you might have a, a good day here and there where just everything just seems to fall into place and it's just great, uh, you know. But those those times are short lived. There's always bigger or small obstacles that that come along, and sometimes those really beat you down. So it's it's helpful to be able to be actually transparent and not feel like you just have, kind of have to to BS yourself through your spiritual life, <laughs> rather than actually to be you know to be honest and say, hey, this is. This is what I'm going through, uh, mm-hmm. and where are you, God? And and how in the world am I ever going to get out of this? So, right, right, yeah. So. I really, I really like how that book you focus on Psalms 88, which totally gave me a total different outlook on Psalms 88. Um, yeah, some, yeah, some eight. It's one of those one of those Psalms. Like you get to the end, you're like, and. You know, we're, 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 okay. All right. So, so darkness is my closest friend. Amen. Yeah. There's a, like, there's a really, yeah. There, there's no light at the end of the Psalm 88 tunnel, at least not really at the, at the, the end of it itself. Uh, and, but yeah, I think that uh, is, is a pretty good summation of what it feels like uh, when, when your life is falling apart. You know, you, you're not ready, I don't think, for, this gush of, of hope and light when you're in the midst of that darkness. Uh, you just want to be able to give expression to what, what you're going through and uh, kind of inch your way toward, toward that light. But the last thing you need is, is a, kind of a, a Saul verse coming along, patting you on the back and say, oh, don't worry, it's all going to be okay, because it's not. You know, It might be in the future, but that future is it might be months or, or or years to come. And for now what you really need is just kind of an honest way to give expression to the pain. Right. Yeah, so everybody go check out Chad Bird. Look at look for his books on Amazon. You can get them there. Um, he's got he has some great ones out there. Um, just check out the podcast of Forty Minutes in the Old Testament. Great, great podcast. We all are steadfast listeners. <laughs> we've we've recommended it several times, I think. I've uh <laughs> I've actually, I got them, t- I got Lee and uh, Scott hooked on yeah, it, it's actually. All your, it's all your fault. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've listened from day one, Chad. That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, at least we know who to blame now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like, who is this Chad Bird guy? <laughs> I'm like, I like this Chad Bird guy. And we fell down a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, kind of funny. I actually... Uh, Right before Christ Hold Fast started, I like entered a contest on uh, the Twitter feed for Christ Hold Fast, and I I won the uh, like a T-shirt and a wristband. I was like the first person to get the T-shirt for. Christ oh, is Hold that Fast right? Started. Well, that's yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> I was like, yes. Hey, Chad Bird, <laughs> just wanted yeah. to give a shout out. My dad says, "Tell him I said hey." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, pass along my uh, my hay right back to him. That's great. I, 
I think your dad's closer to be a, to being a Lutheran than even we are. Dude, I swear he's converted, but he he doesn't admit it. Closet but, Lutheran. Yeah, he's he he listens to you ritually. <laughs> like, he goes, "Hey, have you checked this one out?" I'm like, "Yeah." It's... <laughs> but, well, you so, know, I I think it's the it really is uh, it's it's the appeal of that truly evangelical message that was at the heart of what what Luther what Luther taught that is just that really attracts a lot of a lot of people anyone who can really put that out there in, in a way that's biblically based and understandable uh, is gonna is gonna attract uh, you know people who want to who want to hear more of it because it's unfortunately it, it is it, it's crazy to say but unfortunately that message is not heard uh, broadly and consistently and faithfully in, in the church, even though it's really the message the church has been given to, to proclaim. Right. So hey, it's an honor for me to be able to, you know, honor for me to be able to podcast about it and speak about it and write about it. Uh, it's it's kind of my it's my one my one song that I sing over and over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're we're you glad there's faithful people out there doing that. So yeah, yeah, we we've got a song to sing tonight. <laughs> cool, let's sing it. This. <laughs> All right. Long gospel. So question one, um, everyone in the church should know the gospel, but what is law? Would you explain to us uh, what law is when we talk about the division of law and gospel? Yeah, so uh, to put it simply to begin with, law is basically anything that God requires of us. So it's not strictly speaking what uh, what we would limit to the Ten Commandments, or it, it's it's not you know some just chosen selection of passages here and there in the Old or New Testament. Law is anything by which God is holding us accountable, and it's not just actions; it's words. It's also the intentions of the heart. So the law is basically God saying to us, "You should do this. You must do this. You ought to do this." So that is simply put, what what the law is, and the law is always. The law basically is always requiring something of us. So do this, don't do that. Think this, don't think that. Desire this, don't desire that. So the focus right. is always upon is always upon us. Focus is always upon something being asked of us to do or or not to do. And and because that's the case, then we we know the law very well, generally speaking, because that is the context in which we live and work and have relationships 24-7. I mean, it doesn't matter uh, what your job is and what kind of relationship you're in or uh, what kind of social context that you're in. There's always shoulds and musts and ought tos that surround mm-hmm. us. I mean, this is just, this is the ocean in which we swim. So it's it's an easy move for an understanding of the various cultural or societal or relationship laws to understanding what the divine law is, because just in the same way as we feel all these pressures around us requiring us to do this or don't do this, so also God has his own very specific uh, commands for us to do and, and not to do. So that, that basically is what, what the law is. Now, now, this is a side question. Um, so when when a Christian is approached and by an unbeliever and they say, why don't you live out the law still? Why don't you hold to the law? Um, why, why are you wearing mixed fabrics? Right. <laughs> why do you much. cut the hair you at, cut at your, your temples? <laughs> now, what should a response for a Christian be to that kind of question? Yeah, people say that to me all the time. They say, why are you wearing that? <laughs> that's what my wife says i I, I get that a lot too yeah that's why that's why exactly why i let my wife choose all my clothing now because i i can't match anything to save my life me either Uh, you know it's it's funny actually this this particular question came up because uh i just was i just was responding to an email today earlier today that i received from uh one of the one of the people that follows my my website and she she was asking about the tithe Strictly, I mean, mm. very strictly speaking, not talking about just offerings, but the the ten percent tithe, which was uh, commanded to Israel to give, and I get questions also with with some frequency about about the Sabbath day, 
And this came up actually not very long ago in, 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 our, in our podcast because we were covering Deuteronomy 5, which, of course, is where the, uh, the second recitation of the Ten Commandments is given. And uh, right. so, I mean, basically, uh, my answer is this. We, we have to make a distinction with regard to what we're talking about when we talk about the law. So there were laws which were given specifically to the people of Israel under the Old Covenant, and those include Sabbath, uh, the, the specific uh, services and requirements of Saturday worship, which, of course, is when Saturday was. And uh, it all extends, of course, to every aspect of the Israelites' life, to what, as, as we mentioned earlier, to what they can wear, uh, to what they can, can do on the Sabbath day, what they're supposed to do on certain other holy days, what kind of foods they can and, and cannot eat, uh, various matters related to the body with regard to what we consider hygiene today, but various kind of ritual statuses of clean and unclean. So there's just every aspect of the Israelites' life, life was governed by these various laws and regulations under the Old Covenant. But what Christ did when he came is basically he, he came to, to fulfill that law for us. And every aspect of the Israelite law, even strictly speaking, the Ten Commandments, as they were given in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, under the Old Covenant, those specific words of the, of what we call the Ten Commandments in, in Exodus right. 20 and Deuteronomy 5, that, that all belong to the Old Covenant. And so uh, circumcision is no longer required of us. The, the keeping of the Sabbath on Saturday is no longer required of us. And we can wear whatever we want to wear. Uh, we can eat whatever we want to eat. So we have that freedom from the Old Covenant, Old Covenant law. Now, of course, as Romans says, God has written the law on our hearts, and there are certain laws which continue to require things of us and also to accuse us of, of breaking those laws. So there are laws which are no longer applicable to us because we live under the new covenant, uh, but there are certainly some aspect of God's law that were, that were expressed in the Old Testament under the Old Testament law, like you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, which continue to apply not just to us, sure. but to all, all humanity. Awesome. Would, would you call that, so, you know, we have... We've got you know the uh, the ceremonial laws that are fulfilled by Christ. There's also the, I guess the kind of theocratic laws about uh, structuring the community. Uh, but then you've got that that moral law. Is that is that what a Lutheran would call it as well? Like the Ten Commandments and the other aspects that apply to us as sort of a moral guide. Yeah, we uh, we use that same kind of terminology. Uh, I think I think it's helpful. I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. some areas where you know there's a little bit of a little bit of a gray area uh, where it might not fall exactly into one of those particular categories. But yeah, generally speaking, that's the same kind of same kind of division that we use. There's the ritual law, or sometimes called the ceremonial law, and also, of course, the theocratic laws, which applied to the kingship of Israel, things things of that nature. But then the moral law is that which is expressed in many aspects of Old Testament law, but which continues then to apply to Jews and to Gentiles. Uh, well, it applied in the Old Testament, time, Old Testament times, just like it continues to apply today. Excellent. Excellent. Question two, then. So, uh, so why can't we just preach law to everyone and make them live better? Yeah, well, wouldn't that be nice if if, if that actually? That's what worked? a lot of churches try to do, I think. Yeah, yeah, it actually is. I mean, that and the 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 sad irony of that is, if you if you really want to make people worse, preach only law to them. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean that that is like the surefire way to make people far worse. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's, the, and the it's sa- like a. You, you tell people, you know, don't do this, or you tell your kid, you know, don't touch that, it's hot. What do they do the very first thing is they touch it? Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Any parent knows this <laughs> instinctively, right? If you, if you don't want your children to do something, then make sure that you don't, that, make sure that they haven't thought about it, because the minute that you say don't do it, that's the very thing that they're going to want to do, right? <laughs> yep. This is just, this is simple human nature. Uh, the more that you know, anytime I see a no smoking sign, I want to smoke there, uh, even though I don't, even though I don't <laughs> smoke. I mean, it's just like, what would it be like if I lit up a cigarette under that sign? You know, that, that just, it, it's, there's something or no trespassing. I want to jump the fence. Yeah. Um, or the dog riding a skateboard. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> any, any, any kind of prohibition generates within us a desire to break it. 
So that is the that's the the crazy thing about the law. And of course, Paul talks about this all over Romans. That oh, yeah. what what the law does is sin takes the opportunity afforded by the law to produce in us even greater desires to break it. So people that think that they can actually make people better by preaching the law to them, and that usually that law usually comes in the forms of you know like a soft law, like a bunch of principles that they're supposed to keep or something like that. Well, they're mm-hmm. they're not they're not helping those people because what's going to happen is. One of two things. This is what always happens in preaching of the law, preaching of exclusive, exclusively the law. Either you produce Pharisees who actually have, uh, have deceived themselves into thinking they're actually keeping the law, or you produce those who are completely in despair because they realize that they can never live up to the law. So you're gonna have, either going to have people who are despairing or people who are hypocritical, one of the two. But hmm. b- they're both in, really in the same situation and that neither one of them are keeping the law. There's either kind of a, an inward rebellion or an outward rebellion to this law. So the, the law can never produce that which it requires. So it requires righteousness. It requires perfection. It requires all of these, these, these things of us that God demands of us. And yet, it, not only can it not produce those in us, it actually produces often the very opposite of that. Right. And you, you see a lot of that, that the pharisaical kind of preening in a lot of the uh, very legalistic churches. Uh, I know in, in our area here in rural Ohio, we have several uh, congregations in our area that are very much law-based like that. And a lot of the laws have to do with uh, manner of dress so that when you go in the community, it's very obvious I belong to this congregation because of how I dress. And there's a very... A prideful attitude that comes with with that appearance, and therefore the spiritual significance that they've tied to it. Well, I'm I'm I appear this way because I'm holy, uh, because I belong to this church, and only people who go to my church are going to heaven anyway. So I'm that much above everyone else, kind of a thing. And it's it's incredibly destructive, and also it doesn't match up to the the witness that a Christian has, a true Christian has. There's no yeah, that's a there. that's a that's a great example, uh, and I think it, in different contexts that could be exemplified in in different ways because every area of the country has its own kind of religiosity. I mean, we have our religiosity down here in, in Texas, where I live, uh, and I'm <laughs> oh, sure that yeah. I'm sure that Cal- California or Tennessee or Florida or Michigan. I mean, they all have their 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 ways in which a person is known for being known for being religious. Uh, as that is as that might be expressed externally through you know the, the keeping of certain human traditions, what whatever those those might be. What I encounter a lot is actually people on the opposite side of that, people who have been burned out uh, because of the legalism to which they've been exposed, maybe growing up, and they finally come to the point where they are honest with themselves and realize, you know, I, I, there's no way that I can live up to this, and uh, so I'm just going to leave. You know, so that that's another sad effect of the preaching of the law is that very often it just drives people away once they are honest with themselves about their inability to, to keep it. And it's, it's, just, it, it's a terrible thing because the law is always supposed to be a servant of the gospel. The law is supposed to drive us to the point of, of, of being at the end of ourselves in order that at the end of ourselves we might find Christ who has fulfilled the law for us, forgives us all our sins and gives us his own act of righteousness so that we are clothed in his perfection. That's what the, that's what the goal of the law is, is to, is to bring us to our, to, to the realization of our need of, of Christ and everything that he provides for us in his own keeping of the law in our stead. Right. It's almost like you've talked about this before, because you've led very nicely into our uh, our next question, which is, what is the gospel? I was going to say, that's a... <laughs> what is the gospel, and why should we keep hearing it as we grow in the faith? Gospel literally means good news. Uh, so anything anything that claims to be gospel, which is not good news, is not gospel. I mean, that, that's kind of a standard rule of thumb. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, sometimes you'll hear gospel used in a very uh, backwards, twisted sort of way, in which the gospel becomes something else that you have to do. Well, it, the gospel is never something that you have to do because the gospel the gospel is good news because it's everything that God in Christ has accomplished for us. And so, strictly speaking, the gospel is always focused upon the work of Christ on our behalf. 
And uh, in its totality, that includes, of course, his incarnation, his taking on our human nature, the word becoming flesh. It also includes his act of obedience, his keeping of the law in our stead. It includes his, <coughs> includes his suffering uh, in order to atone for our sins and his resurrection and ascension to, to the right hand. All of this from the moment of his conception to the moment of his glorification is part of the gospel because he, he did all this. He went through all the stages of life because we ourselves go through all the stages of life. He kept all the laws because we break all the laws. And he suffered even into the point of death because ultimately that is what the law does for us. It's, that's the wages that the law pays, right? The wages of, of sin is, is death. But, of course, it goes on, that gift is the good news. The gift of God is, is this life and forgiveness and salvation that we have, that we have in Christ. And, and the reason we have to keep on hearing it is because we keep on needing it. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, there's no kind of magic pill we swallow on the day that we become a Christian, and all of a sudden now we no longer sin, we no longer lust and envy and, and covet and do things that we really don't want to do. Uh, we... We, we continue well, to rebel well, inwardly and outwardly. So we, well, we have if, to keep hearing that. If you're baptized that. by the Holy Ghost, you, you, you don't ever do those things again, do you? <laughs> I actually met a guy who claimed uh, I, was, I was very young. I think I was probably 18 or so when I met this man. And I, for some reason, that this encounter has always stuck with me. I remember exactly where we were having this conversation. He was some, I don't know, evangelist of some sort who uh, was, was in town. And... Uh, approached me in a, in, a, in a gas station parking lot and started talking with me. And, and he claimed that he had not sinned. And I forgot, it was like 30 years. I mean, it was some really impressive number of years in which he had somehow remained sinless. So to, to this day, to this day, uh, this is the very impious side of me. But to this day, I wish that I'd have punched him in the nose just to see if he'd have got... Just to see if I would have angered him enough to punch me back, and they're like, "Ah, you blew it. There goes your record." See, you know, it was the last thirty-two years, man. Uh, but, uh, All that but of course, time I, I, I wasn't wasn't quite thinking uh, enough on quickly enough on my feet that day. But yeah, I mean, there is that uh, there is that idea that that circulates in some some arenas of Christianity. Maybe it's not that extreme, but there are variations of it where mm-hmm. it, there's this idea that. If we try hard enough, we can become less and less sinful until maybe we reach that point toward the end of our lives where he, we've achieved some sort of spiritual perfection. We finally get that A-plus on God's righteous ranking. But uh, <laughs> the truth is that uh, growth in the Christian life is a, is, is a growth in awareness of our sinfulness and our inability to do anything about it, and growth and also an awareness of God's grace and love and mercy for us in Christ, which covers our, our unrighteousness. So that's the way I like to think of growth. It's a, it's a growth and awareness of just how bad we are and just how good God is. And Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, if, if, and the, the crazy part of that is if that is happening, then it's sort of a, it, it, there's a dark and a bright side to that because the, the dark side is, man, the, the better we get to know ourselves, the more frightening we become. I mean, I, I think I know a, a fair amount of the evil of which I am capable, but to think that, that there's a whole lot in me that I am not even aware of is, is frightening. Uh, but then that's why we have to keep hearing about, well, it, we, you also cannot plumb the depths of the love of God. So you, mm-hmm. you can't plumb the depths of the gospel, and that's, so that's why, we, that's why we have to keep, keep hearing it over and over. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand how you could make an, an argument that you even can grow in the faith uh, by growing past the gospel. Uh, because I, I don't see how the gospel is the foundation. You know, it's the, it's the power of, of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And if you think that you've outgrown that power and that, that, that the gospel itself could be spiritual milk when everything's built on top of that, if you're not if you're not being reminded of that, of the, the timeless power of the gospel, I don't see how you even could grow in your sanctification. Um, because like you said, it returns you to the ground of how good God is and how terrible you are and the enormity of his grace to us. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, there is no growth apart from the gospel because the law is not going to grow us. The law, the law is going to beat us down. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to reveal just uh, the the opposite, right? Only the gospel is actually going to be that kind of growth because in the gospel is the is the power of God and the work of the Spirit to to bring about our 
our deeper and deeper inclusion into the life of Christ. Uh, you know, it, I was when you were talking, I was thinking that it really this is this this is the Galatian heresy. It's just repeated ad nauseum in the life of the church. Over and over, we have Galatians <laughs> happening. People begin with the gospel, and then they go right back to the law. And and we we right. man, we almost we. You almost hear that exact language. It, it, it's it's crazy talk to me that some of these some of the things that you'll hear in churches where, you know, you become a Christian. Okay, that's great. You hear the gospel. That's great. And now we're going to list. We're going to hand you a list of all the things that you need to do in order to you know be a, be a true Christian. Well, that's doing nothing but putting the Bible in reverse and taking us back to the foot of Mount Sinai. It's it just right. And that's what Paul, you know, Paul was raging mad when he wrote Galatians. I guarantee he wrote that whole epistle red-faced uh, mm-hmm. because, yeah. because of what was happening <laughs> in this church. I mean, it was, they all were... Caps. Yeah, His all blood caps. pressure is as high as Sean's. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, when somebody posts on Facebook and it's all caps, yeah. like they're screaming. I, that was probably like Paul. It's like, the Galatians Greek get this epistle, this parchment, and they're like, it's all in caps, you know. And if and there were no, like, there were no, write this down. Yeah. There were no exclamation points in Greek, but if there had been, it'd been like one after every sentence in Galatians. Yeah, it's funny that you, you brought up Galatians because I've, I've recently dove into Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, which is incredible. I mean, I in your quest to becoming never, a Lutheran. Which is, which is, here's the funny thing. So I've read Calvin's commentary on Galatians, and I love it. But Luther has this different approach that's more of a, he shows you the grace of God, but then he beats you one time with the law and brings it all back around. And he's like, are you not getting it? It's like, okay, I, I, I'm liking this. Yeah, that's a, a Luther on Galatians is just pure gold. I mean, you you can't get better Luther Luther than that. I mean, it's that's kind of like his Pauline moment, I guess you could say. I mean, if, there, if Luther is most mm-hmm. Pauline when he is lecturing on Galatians, because I mean that there there is no there's no book which sums up the whole purpose of the Reformation more than than what Galatians is all about. I mean, that's what Luther was doing, right? That the 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 Galatian heresy had permeated the life of the church in, in Luther's day, and so he is just fighting tooth and nail to bring back to bring back the gospel. So it, it really is, it's a, it's a, this is a, a magnum opus. I mean, that just like that is his greatest work, in, in my opinion. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying it. If I could, I'd put I'd put that, that commentary in the hands of every Christian and say, read this if you want to really right, know what right. the what law and gospel I'm, are. This is it. It's really good. I'm shocked. I was like, kind of hesitant. I was like, this can't be as good what, as what everyone said. <laughs> I'm like, this may be a little, this this may be a little off topic, but um, I, wasn't there a, a recently uh, retranslated version of that commentary? I think I saw it on 1517's website. Yeah, um, 1517 has a... Um, a version of that, uh, a little bit different translation, and uh, yeah, you can check on the fifteen seventeen website. I can't remember yeah, the name of the translator the for the life of me, but yeah, it's it's there. Came out uh, probably about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, something something like that. And if you're interested in just kind of getting oh, shoot, a even... a little bit of an idea as to what it's like, there's actually been a a summary of that written by a friend of mine, R.J. Grunwald, and that's also it's also available. Yeah, oh yeah, I have that. Yeah, so. <laughs> And I have a, uh, I have his yeah, summary. Yeah, on those Romans are helpful too. for. I mean, they're no substitute for for reading Luther, but they're kind of like the cliff notes, if you will. I mean, they're they're it kind of give you a, a taste right, of what yeah. you're going to be encountering in in the uh, in the full book, and also helpful if you know, say, you want to take a congregation through a study of Galatians, something like that would be a helpful study guide to use. That's very really cool. So my one question that we've we've questioned this: What made you transition from Baptist? Because I I think you grew up Baptist. Is, am I correct? Yeah, I grew up Southern Baptist. Yes. Right, and then what what caused the transition? Oh, no no wonder you you switched away. Right, right. Which is which is totally understandable with what's going on now. But uh, what what was the transition that caused? you to see Lutheran as this is it. 
yeah, I was, uh, I think I was, I was either 17 or 18. So I was in my, I was in my late teens anyway. And I'd been part of a, my, my family was a, was a very faithful church going family. We, we were there all the time. And, uh, and I'm very thankful for the, uh, the upbringing that I had with my, with my folks. Uh, they just really did a, did a great job of always being faithful about bringing us to, to Sunday school, to, to church, to, you know, just a lot of, a lot of ways they were, were a great blessing to me, uh, in that way. But w- what happened was I got to working with a guy who was a Lutheran and, uh, we, we lived in a small town, so we knew each other, everybody, everybody knew each other. And, but I didn't really know anything about the Lutheran church. So, uh, he started pressing me with a lot of, a lot of theological questions to which I had no answer because I really hadn't, I hadn't been, uh, catechized. I hadn't been taught. Uh, I thought I knew the Bible, but uh, I guess I didn't know it that, that well. So, uh, you know, I, he, uh, he started pushing me and I, and I wanted to have answers. Uh, so I started digging into the scriptures, started thinking a little bit more theologically. And uh, long story short, I, I ended up attending a class at his church just in order so I could find out more. I had no intentions whatsoever in becoming a Lutheran. And I did not, at the end of that class, I continued to struggle with a lot of things related especially to, 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 to issues revolving around baptism. Mm. Uh, and so I went through about a, oh, I don't know, a year and a half, two-year struggle through uh, various issues. And I, I finally came to the point to where I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't deny anymore that, that what, what the Lutherans were teaching is what I considered to be uh, faithful, faithful to the Scriptures. And so I, I made the transition at that point. There were a lot of things that were that were were hard for me at first, but uh, some things started to click. Uh, bondage of the will, for instance, clicked for me. And when bondage of the will clicked for me, then infant baptism clicked for me. And when infant baptism clicked for me, that was part part also of a biblical understanding in which circumcision served as the predecessor for 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 baptism. So there was there was a lot of kind of coming together of various pieces and. And so, anyway, at the end, I uh, I decided I'd go ahead and, and make the switch. Right on. Okay, that that clears it up. I was like, <laughs> I gotta ask. I can't go on anymore without asking. <laughs> yeah. It's a question keeping you up at night. <laughs> it it no. has bugged me for I don't know months. No. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, wonder why you made the switch. I'm really interested in hearing why you did the switch. Well, the, the my my Baptist preacher at now, the time now see it. Uh, more than more than hinted that the real reason I wanted to switch was so that I would feel I wouldn't feel as guilty drinking beer. <laughs> now, little, little did he know that at that time, actually, I was a complete teetotaler. I didn't drink I didn't drink beer at all. Wow! Uh, so that had absolutely nothing to do with with my decision. Nor did it have anything to do with a girl, which is of course the reason a lot of people change churches. No women were involved in this in this change. Uh, it was it was entirely theological. So uh, yeah, that was a that was it. I mean, I had I had a lot still to learn, of course. Uh, and uh, but you know, I, I'm extremely thankful for my upbringing because I, I don't think we can ever kind of get that that theology from our younger years completely out of our out of our system. It's kind mm-hmm. of part of our spiritual DNA. And, and oh, one yeah. of the things that I really cherish about about my uh, my 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 upbringing in the Baptist Church is because, you know, the the Bible is central. You study the scriptures. You study the scriptures over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is not always a. It's not as it's not as if Lutherans d- deny that. But practically speaking, what happens is very often kind of systematic theology overshadows biblical theology. And so there's a lot of time spent studying secondary sources. You study the Lutheran confessions. You study the Lutheran catechism. You study. Uh, some kind of systematic textbook, and it's it, it's been a lifelong frustration for me because I keep wanting to say, well, why don't we just go back to the to the original source? Why don't we study the scriptures instead? And uh, so that, that's kind of been a a drumbeat that I've been pounding away at for for quite some time. And I don't know if I made any headway or not, but I'm going to keep pounding away. <laughs> Maybe somebody will listen to me. <laughs> Just nail something to a door. That's what Usually I need to do. Yeah. yeah, My 95 <laughs> theses, each will read, read the Bible. That's what all 95 <laughs> theses will be. That's, that is a good thesis. <laughs> yeah. That's an excellent thesis. It's it's funny how you mentioned like your upbringing sticks with you because uh, 
I, I don't know if you know this, Chad, but I He's was raised Roman Baptist. Catholic. Oh, okay. And, yeah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> and uh, I, once I got to be about 20, 21, I decided, you know, what the church was teaching was not in line with the scriptures and uh, made my exit. And for a while, I didn't go to church and I ended up just kind of jumping in the Lutheran church here locally because uh, I was most comfortable with it because it was most similar right. to what I was used to. And uh, I, I, I hung around for a while, but uh, then I met Scott and after we had talked for a while, he uh, he basically called me a closet <laughs> Calvinist. I really did. So, <laughs> so I, I finally figured out, you know, where I stood and everything. So it's, it's nice to be where I'm at, but I still, that Roman Catholic upbringing still sticks with me a lot. So <laughs> I totally Yeah, yeah, I mean, the good, the good and the bad, right? You know, there's a, there's a lot of... There's a lot yeah. of good that, you, that can be there, but also there's a there's a lot of bad, and uh, you know even even things like uh, well, my wife was raised Church of Christ. Uh, I don't know if you have many of those there in, in Ohio, but pretty pretty popular in the in the in the South. Yeah, we've so. got a few. But you know, one of the ways that, that we know that upbringing stuck with us because, and her family went to church every Sunday too, is because we can we know the songs that we grew up on. So one of us can mm-hmm. you know we'll think of a song or we'll hear it somewhere and. And she'll say, "Well, did you did you guys sing this?" Or I'll think of one. I said, "Well, did y'all sing this?" And bam! I mean, we can just we might not have heard or sung that hymn in well twenty five, thirty years, but we can we can begin to sing it every every single word because it was just part of our part of our upbringing. Hymns and, are really uh, powerful for that. Yeah, I mean, music that that sticks to your bones, so you don't you don't get rid of that. Uh, and so, <laughs> at least. Some of the some of the music I'm glad I can remember. Some I wish I could forget, but uh, that, that just that just that goes with the territory, I suppose. Sometimes that's the best way to that you learn theology, especially as a kid. You know, sometimes even if you grow up in a in a church that maybe is not very theologically sound, and the sermons are not uh, a, a great representation of of Christian theology, but if you're singing the good hymns with good solid theological content. And those lyrics really do stay with you for a long, long time. I mean, there's even people people suffering with dementia who, after they've lost the ability to speak, will still sing church music that they heard when they were children. And that's the only speech that ever comes out of their mouth. And it's pretty impressive, the, the power of, of music, that um, the grace that, that God can impart through music like that. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I've had similar situations where I'm visiting someone uh, in maybe they're in a nursing home or or some situation where they're they're elderly and and maybe they've lost some of the mental capacity. But you begin saying the Lord's Prayer, you begin saying Psalm 23, you start singing a, a familiar part of, of a hymn or a liturgy, and I mean they're they're right there with you. They know it. They know it word for word. They might not be able to tell you what they had for breakfast, or maybe even who their who their children are. But they know they know this music, uh, so yeah. There's a there's a, a Lutheran hymn writer uh, named Martin Franzman who wrote a little book in which uh, a little book of sermons, and one of them is about hymns. And he has this great, uh, just a a great simple quote in there in which he says, "Theology must sing," and that's what that's what happens throughout the history of the church. That's why the we have you know the Psalms at the center of the Scriptures, and that's why the Psalms are quoted more than any other. Old Testament book in the New Testament, because here you have theology set to music, and so it becomes more, it's, it's beautiful that way, it, it elevates the prose, and it also then makes those words stick in our minds and hearts. Well, uh, do you have time for one more question? Yeah, you bet. Good, okay. Well, Sean, did you have any burning questions? Uh, I was just going to ask uh, question I mean, four. Yeah, go go for it do? if you want. I'll, I'll read it. All right. Okay, Chad. So, uh, why don't Lutherans preach for a half hour or forty minutes like that? <laughs> well, the, the practical answer is because after about twenty minutes, everybody would completely check out. After thirty minutes, after thirty minutes, it would be an Israelite rebellion. Uh, and after forty-five minutes, the stones no. would probably start to fly. No, I. <laughs> I have a really funny story yeah. after you're done with your Yeah, answer. I mean, it's a, I do think, 
that uh, that over time uh, that that the sermon length has has dwindled. I've read that that Luther preached for forever. He just would, would go on and on, and 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 people would listen. I, part of it really is is determined by that to which we are accustomed. Uh, because I've been in churches where a preacher goes on for 45 minutes and everybody's fine. They sit there and listen to it the, the whole time. And I've, I've even, this is the strange thing. I mean, I've, I've taught classes or given lectures that are 30, 45 minutes long, and I hold the attention of the audience. But you, 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 you change situations and you, you put me in a pulpit and you put them in a church and I start preaching a sermon and I go over 15, 20 minutes and I lose them. So it, it it's really a psychological type thing. Well, I get, think it's whatever people are accustomed to. That just kind of is what they what they expect. Uh, it is. It is a. I mean, I would like, I would like two changes to happen to in most Lutheran preaching. Uh, and these would go. These really would go hand in glove with with, with what you're what you're uh, what you're asking. One, I, I wish that Lutheran preaching were more textually textually connected. Very often, what happens is. There's a little theological idea in the text, and that gets lifted mm-hmm. out out of its context, and then a more a kind of a systematic or practical kind of sermon is built around that, and the text itself is ignored. But what I'd like to see is more textual preaching, where they're actually working their way through the text, so they're working their way through the broader context. And when it's done that way, I think that it would be much easier to preach for a longer period of time and, and actually keep people's keep, keep people's attention. Because I've discovered there's actually a there's a thirst for people of people out there to learn about the scriptures, but for some reason there's a, there's a lot of at least pastors in my circles that don't do that, and I don't know if it's because they themselves have lost interest in the scriptures or don't feel adequate to to the task. I don't I really don't know what what the problem is, but but th- those are the two changes that I wish would occur, and they they would go they would go hand in hand in glove. Maybe this is another this is another uh, fifteen seventeen plug I guess, but I really enjoy the You Are Forgiven uh, podcast, uh, which is uh, I, it's basically just I believe the the sermons from three or four different uh, California based Lutheran pastors, and even though the they're I mean they are short episodes, but I, I do like the aspect where and I this is kind of what you were saying, Chad, where. You know, you, you do have a, a, just a small section in the gospel text, and there's one main idea that does get lift, lifted out of there, and within 15 minutes they kind of hammer away at that and really kind of drive that one point home, um, which, I, you know, I, I, I benefit from that, but then I also sit under preaching at my own church on Sunday that is the 45-minute textual-based, context-laden uh, sermon, so you know you, you kind of get the best of both worlds, I guess, in that way. Uh, yeah, if you're yeah, fortunate yeah, yeah. enough to have that. Right, you do. I mean, you're you're uh, you certainly have an advantage there because you do get the best of both worlds. But uh, if if you didn't have that other side, then you probably would be be hungering for for something that is a little bit more 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 Bible actually, and and just less uh, less just theology. Uh, but uh, yeah, I. I I know at least one of the guys who uh, is part of the You're Forgiven radio network, Ed Killian, who is uh, just, he was a former student oh, of mine. I, really, and, I always uh, like his. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a great guy, a uh, great friend, great proclaimer, and I'm glad that he's, and he's had, actually he's had a number of situations where people have heard him on the radio and called him and asked him for, for some help uh, because, you know, that. Wow. The weird thing is that that uh, I was well. It seems weird, but actually it makes sense. They design when they, when these play on the radio in California, they're playing in the mm-hmm. middle of the night, about the time the bars close. And so a wow. lot of people hear these, you know, when they're if if you're staying out till the bar closes, there's probably some issues <laughs> in your life. I mean, I'm just just gonna throw that out there. You got problems. You know, you probably oh, have. I thought that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, you you probably have some. <laughs> I probably have some issues. You know, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, but yeah. I've, uh, so I've, I've you know these there. guys or gals, I guess maybe in some cases they're they're hearing these messages and you know this hope just smacks them right in the face and they're like, wow, you know, I I didn't think there's any way that I could be forgiven. 
uh, because mm-hmm. I've done, you know, A through Z, and there's no way that God gives a rip about me. And all of a sudden, they're hearing the, the gospel, this four units of the gospel proclaimed to them, and this, it blows them away. And so they want to they wanna talk to the preacher. So it's, a, it's been a, a real incredible gift for, for that uh, message to get out there, through, well, through the podcast as well as through the, the airwaves out in California. Right on. Right on. Awesome. All right, guys. I think that wraps it up. Um, to Lee, you want to close us out? Sure, sure will. All right, well, um, anyone can find us at our website, guyswithbibles.com. There uh, you will find our blog content. You can also listen to the audio of our podcast there on the podcast page. But do go and search for us in iTunes or Google Play or the podcatcher of your choice. We will be there. Uh, and then also check us out on social media. Uh, send an invite or uh, send a request to the uh, Facebook page. We'll get you added in there and in the conversation. Uh, also check us out on Twitter and Instagram, both at the handle at Guys with Bibles. And you can also email us directly at guyswbibles at gmail.com. And uh, our our immense thanks to Chad Bird for coming on with us today and having this great conversation. It, it was every bit as fruitful as I think we all hoped it would yeah. be. So well, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I appreciate you guys. Uh, I really really love the work that you're doing, and uh, uh, really was looking forward to this. And and I I uh, I think it was fruitful too. Really enjoyed it, and look forward to. Interacting more with you guys in the future. I just, I just sat here in awe. <laughs> yeah, we're, awesome. we're very, we're very thankful for your uh, encouragement. Uh, that's been a big help to us along the way, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll do this again sometime. This will be for really sure. For yeah, sure. I'd love to. Chad, do you Wonderful. have any shout outs you want to do? You want to represent your podcast or? Uh, yeah, uh, forty minutes in the Old Testament. It's a podcast. Uh, if you like that. Uh, I mean, it is kind of what I was talking about uh, in our in our in our discussion. We we're just we're talking Bible. We're talking theology uh, based upon the scriptures, and we really don't skip anything. We've worked our way all the way from Genesis one one through through Deuteronomy six. I think is where we're at now. So check that out if you if you uh, if you like that. You might want to also check out thirty minutes in the New Testament. I'm not on that program, but my my partner in crime in forty minutes in the Old Testament, Dan Price. He and his friend Eric Eric Sorensen there. They're in 30 minutes in the New Testament, so you can kind of bounce back and forth between uh, between the Testaments. Uh, and then uh, if, uh, if you're looking for articles, looking for videos, anything like that, you can find those on my website at chadbird.com. And I'm on social media, too, so look me up there, and we can get connected. Awesome. We're guys with Bibles, and we're out.